Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. It's a blessing that God has called us again to worship for the second time today. We extend a warm welcome to all members and guests who have joined us, either here in church or remotely via the live stream. May we all be strengthened and edified, and may God be glorified by our worship. Consistory has just one announcement, and that is that the Consistory with Deacons will meet the Lord willing at 7.30pm tomorrow evening. This afternoon the worship service will be led by Reverend Poppy. Before we begin, let us sing together hymn 40, verse 4 and 5. Sisters, please rise and let's worship the Lord. We confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's now sing together from Psalm 33, verse 6.
great gifts that God gives us is a unity of faith with all those who believe in the Lord Jesus. Let us express our, our unity of faith this afternoon with the words of the Apostles' Creed as set to music in hymn one. Let's pray to God and let's ask him for his blessing. Almighty God and Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, that once again you bring us into your presence this afternoon. And thank you, Father, that you do so because you wish to have fellowship with us. We want to ask you, Lord, to help us to have fellowship with you. Help us that we're able to focus our attention on you, that we're able to think about who you are and what you have done for us that in our hearts that we can sing with joy and gratitude for the riches of the grace that you've expressed to us. The very first thing we do when we meet with you, Lord, is, is we hear words of grace. You tell us of the grace that you extend to us in Christ. And this afternoon, we're hoping to open your word and to hear about the, the name that you have given to your son. You gave him the name Jesus. And that's because he came to save us from our sins. Father, we, we confess that we are sinners and that we need salvation. And we pray that you would impress your gospel on our hearts, that we realize how rich we are in the Lord Jesus, that we are deeply grateful to you for the gifts of your, your love and your grace, and that we respond to that with thanksgiving and praise. Your Father in heaven, we ask that you would please also accept the other acts of worship that we do, the confession of faith that we make, the prayers that we sing, and the thank offerings we bring before you. Would we do love you? It is our joy to, to express that to you. We pray that you'd help us to do that with an open heart. 
Thank you, Lord, for this time now that we, that we have under your word. You're so kind to us to give us your word, and you're, you're kind to allow us to, to consider it, to meditate upon it. We pray that you would bless us through that. Please hear us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So this afternoon, brothers and sisters, I may preach to you the, the message of, of God's grace. In Lord's Day 11, we confess that Jesus that the, the Son of God has received the name Jesus, which means Savior. And in connection with the saving work of our Lord Jesus, I'd like to read two passages of the Scriptures with you, first from John 8, the first verses, and then from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So I invite you to open your Bible with me, John 8, the verses 1 through 11. You can find it on page 1062 of your guest Bible. John 8, there it actually, it starts off with the last verse of the previous chapter. They went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him. And he sat down and taught them. The scribes and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Then we turn, secondly in our reading, we're going to read together the last verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You find that on page 1148. Corinthians 5, we'll read the verses 16 to 21. The Apostle Paul says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, 
be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So far the, the reading of God's word, let's now sing together. We're going to sing from Psalm 51, the verses 1 and 6. afternoon we'll consider the the grace of God which he extends to us in his son and he he indicates that grace right at the very beginning when he gave his son the name Jesus we'll consider this by looking at what the church has summarized confessed in Lord's Day 11 of the Heidelberg Catechism 
can find that on page 526 of your, your book of praise. Verse 11 has this heading, God the Son and our redemption. Why is the Son of God called Jesus that is Savior? Because he saves us from all our sins. And because salvation is not to be sought or found in anyone else. Do those who seek their salvation or well-being in saints, in themselves, or anywhere else also believe in the only Savior, Jesus? No, though they boast of in words, they in fact deny the only Savior, Jesus. For one of two things must be true. Either Jesus is not a complete Savior, or those who by true faith accept this Savior must find in him all that is necessary for their salvation. And after the proclamation of God's word, we're going to sing together hymn 35, the verses 1 through 4. Dear brothers and sisters, congregation loved by the Lord Jesus Christ, we live in a world that is deeply marred by sin. You know, sometimes you see that out there and and sometimes it touches really close to home. A few months ago, my wife and I, some family members, we were were out at the beach, it was twilight. It was this amazing sight. All of a sudden we had these maybe 100, maybe 200 turns. They were flying five or 10 meters above the water. And then they would tuck in their wings, and they would dive into the water, and the last second before they went in, then they would tuck their wings totally in next to their body, and you had this arrow that shot down into the water. And seconds later, they would pop up, and they had this little herring, little minnow, in their mouths. It was just, it was a stunning sight. There were, there were dozens, there were hundreds of these birds that were dropping out of the sky. But then on another level, it was also just so sad. Here you have these little minnows, these tiny little fish. They, they swim right up against the shore. They try to get as close as they can to the shore because there's other predators out there who are going to eat them otherwise. They come into the shore, and what happens is they get attacked from the sky. So much, so much death, so much fear, so much destruction. What a heavy burden we brought on this world through our sin. And you know, other times, the brokenness of life doesn't come out in creation, but it comes out through other people. If your classmate, if your brother bullies you, then sometimes life gets really hard. Or if your family member, if you have a boss, if you have an employee who's manipulative, who is contentious, who's proud, who's selfish, and sometimes it really sucks the energy out of you. But sometimes it happens within our families. Our children are sinners by nature, and they push the boundaries, and they push, and they push, and they push. And if you're, if you're not careful to set the boundaries, and if you're not willing to discipline your children, that you can get into this place where, where it's really difficult, where there is just a, a terrible spirit within your home. And that you so much need help. 
You need God to set things right for you, to change things. And then still other times, the struggle is even more personal. Sometimes it happens that the struggle is within us. It's so easy to love and to cherish things, to give them hours and hours and hours of attention, day after day after day. And then we give some scattered thoughts for a few moments at the beginning or at the end of our day of our attention to the Lord. Well, what is our idol? Who is our God? Sometimes we have a hard time making it to church. There's so many other things that are more attractive, more appealing. Or you make it to church, and then it can happen to you that you sing song after song after song, and you sit through half the service, and you're off in la-la land, and you pay no attention to anything that's going on around you. Or sometimes it happens that when other people are looking at us, then it's easier for us to do what's good and what's right. We want to make sure we give a good impression to other people. But when we're in the privacy of our own homes, when we're in the privacy of our own minds, then it's not all good and right. And sometimes there's a lot of sin that we have hidden within us. Maybe selfishness, or pride, or anger. Or maybe we have a really hard time controlling ourselves. Maybe it's gaming. Maybe it's social media. Or maybe it's drinking, or pornography, or eating, or greed. And sometimes those sins are really powerful forces within us, brothers and sisters. These things can take over your life. They can cause a lot of distress for you. It's really hard. Then the, the extent to the perverseness of our nature is when you try to be honest about it, first with yourself, and especially with the people around you, and especially with the Lord, then that's a really, really difficult thing to do. It's really hard to be deeply honest about who you are in your heart, to tell the Lord that up front, to tell the people around you up front, to tell yourself that up front. You know, that can lead to real spiritual struggles. You're in this place where you know it's not good, and you know it should be different. Sometimes you're in stress in relationships, or you're distant from God, or you're enslaved to the sin in your heart, and then sometimes you have these doubts. You know, what does God really think about me? Am I really a child of the Lord? Can I ever get out of this? Whatever, will it ever really change for me? Another tough questions, brothers and sisters. Sometimes it's hard to, give a good, to get a good perspective on that. When you're in the middle of it, then sometimes it can be really overwhelming. And yet the Lord, he, he seeks to help us with that. Here in Lord's Day 11, we confess that when he sent his son into this world, then he gave him the name Jesus. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. We need a savior. We need somebody to do it for us. And the gospel message is that God sent his son to do for us what we can never do for ourselves. I preach God's, new, God's good news to you with this theme, our only hope 
is to be saved by Jesus. We're going to see in the first place the gift of a savior, and secondly, the need for this savior. So what does God say about our sin? He doesn't pretend it doesn't happen. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't pretend that it's not serious, but he's very upfront about it. He talks about the pervasiveness of sin. He talks about the consequences that sin has. Sin is a really big deal. And he's not afraid to put that front and center in our thinking. And yet along with that, what he also does is right away, he also gives us the message and he shows us that he's come to deal with it. He doesn't leave us to deal with our sin by ourselves, but he says sin is a big deal, and it's not okay, and I am going to judge sin. But I want you to know that there is a way to deal with it, that I will take the initiative in setting you free from the power of sin. The fundamental message that runs through the, throughout the scriptures is that Jesus is a savior who will do for us what, we've, what we can never do for ourselves. And I, I'd like to, to explore that theme. I'm going to look at three events in the Old Testament, some of the, the biggest events in the history of salvation, and just use that as a, as a framework to show what God was thinking when these things happened and how he, he points our attention to the Lord Jesus and seeks to, to get us to appreciate who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And then we're going to look at who Jesus actually is and about the work that he's actually done. So the first event that I thought it'd be really good to look at is, is paradise. Here the Lord, he talks about Adam and Eve in the garden. And I, I just ask you to, to imagine paradise and what they went through and what it was like for them. The Bible never says that. It never talks about that. It just talks about the reality of sin. And it talks about the consequence between them and God. But if, if you just think it through for a second, you know, right at the very beginning, it must be quite an experience for Adam and Eve. They were probably the saddest people who ever lived. There was a time when they had fellowship with God. They walked with God. And they talked with God. And they lived in this world together with God. It was a perfect world. And there was no sin. There was no fear. There was, there was nothing wrong. And then they sinned. And one of the first experiences that they had when they sinned is they had the experience of blaming each other. Well, they'd never done that. That had never happened prior to this event. But all of a sudden what happens is that, that Eve blames Adam. Sorry, that Adam blames Eve. And then Eve tries to shift the blame again. And what stands behind the blame is the shame. For the first time in their lives, they experienced the shame. They were ashamed of their sin. And they couldn't take responsibility for that. And then the Bible tells us the shame was also present on another level. They were also ashamed of their nakedness. You know, prior to that time, they were both naked and there was no shame. Somehow God created this world that they could be together and it was a shameless experience. It was a beautiful experience. But it's only as a result of sin that they became ashamed and that they, they tried to to find these, these leaves, to sew, sew something together, to cover themselves. And so here they have, they have sin, they have blame, they have shame, and the next thing they have is fear. 
They'd never been afraid. They didn't know what fear was. But all of a sudden, they were afraid of God. And so they go off into the garden. They try to hide from God when he comes down to meet together with them. And then they're banished. The Lord comes to them. He, he banishes them from his garden. He says, you can't live in fellowship with me any longer. I can't talk to you and I can't walk with you and I can't have fellowship with you like I used to. And so he sends them out of the garden and he bars the way so that they can never come back in again. Well, imagine what it would be like for them that night when they're sitting down and they're eating together, they're having a meal. And imagine some years later when they have their older son who kills their younger son. And then when the older son is also banished. And so there they sit as a result of their sin. They who once had fellowship and communion and love and peace and safety. Now they're sitting there in fear and in shame and blaming each other. And estranged from God and they lost their son and they're estranged from their other son. And what a lot of pain. What a lot of grief. What a profound impact that sin has in people's lives. And yet it's when they're in that place, the very first word that God says to them is a word of grace. He tells them in Genesis 3 verse 15 that the serpent would be crushed by the seed of the woman. The day is coming when there will be a savior and he will destroy the one who led you into sin. He'll destroy the the Satan, that ancient serpent, the deceiver who led you astray. In 1 John 3 verse 8, the Apostle John picks up on that. He says, the reason the Son of God appeared is to destroy the devil's work. Well, it must have been quite a promise for them to reflect on when they sat down and had dinner that night. There is a Savior who's coming. There is someone who's going to crush the devil. There's someone who's going to set us free. There's someone who's going to make us whole again. What a promise of God. We want another event, brothers and sisters. A few chapters later, Genesis 6, we're told how sin has become such a dominant force in the world that every inclination of the thoughts of man's heart is only evil all the time. Man is completely depraved. All he's ever doing is sinful. His motive is, is sin. And the word that he uses there is is that there's a violence in the, in the earth, there is this exploitation of one another. It's so bad that God says that he was grieved that he had made man. His heart is, is filled with pain because of these people and because of what they're doing. And so the time comes for him to exercise judgment against these people. He says, I'm going to, to wipe them off the face of the earth. I am a God of judgment and I will exercise my judgment. I'm going to bring on them this destruction, this worldwide flood that will kill every single person. But then in the middle of that, he says he's going to save one man and his family. He's going to save Noah and his family. He tells Noah to build this ark, and it's, it's through this ark that he ends up saving Noah, and he protects him. It's quite something. It's a picture of the judgment that's coming. The Lord Jesus Christ, it's in Matthew 24, 
he talks about, he looks back in order to prepare us for the future. He looks back to the event that happened in Noah's day, and he says, you know, back then, people were eating and drinking, they were marrying and being given in marriage, and then one day, all of a sudden, God's judgment came down. All of a sudden. People were not expecting it. No one had any idea that this was going to happen. And in one day, it started raining, and everybody on earth was destroyed. The only man who is preserved is no one his family. And God says, the Lord Jesus says, Matthew 24, it's what it's going to be like at the end of time. People are going to be carrying on with life. Everybody's going to be living. Nobody's going to have any sense whatsoever of what's coming. And then all of a sudden, on one day, God is going to act in judgment. Well, it's very interesting. In our time, people think sin has no consequence. You do what feels good. You do what makes you happy. You do what gives you a fulfilled life. Whatever it is that that gives you pleasure, that's what you pursue. If it feels good, then do it. But it's within this context, the Lord tells us that the day of judgment is coming. He will judge. All the evil, all the sin. You see it all around you, brothers and sisters. We're affected by that in so many different ways. And yet one day God says he's going to act in judgment. But then in between, he also, he wants to give us hope that he will preserve his people, that he will save his people. Not only did God send the flood, the apostle Peter, he picks up on this, what happened with with telling Noah to build the ark and then sending Noah into the ark. He says that what happened in the days of Noah is a sign of what God will do for his people through Jesus Christ. He says that it is through water that God judged the world and set his people aside for deliverance. It's in 2 Peter chapter, sorry, 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 21. Peter continues, he says, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. What God's saying is he's saying that the water of the flood is like the water of baptism. This morning we witnessed the baptism of of Catherine Brand. We had a little bit of water that was sprinkled on her head. And that water set her apart as one of the people of God. God entered into a covenant relationship with her, and that's what the water symbolizes. And I, I'm not sure if you, if you paid attention, but in the first prayer that we prayed, when we first prayed to God, then we had this, this prayer in which we, we start off the prayer by confessing the unique place that water has in God's work of salvation. We confess there in the first place that the water of the flood separated Noah and his family from the rest of the world. God used the water to, to separate Noah and to save him. And then the second part of the prayer is, is we prayed that God also used the water of the Red Sea to separate his people Israel from the Egyptians. He saved his people and he destroyed the Egyptians. It's just like the flood. Water separates, God's people destroys the ungodly. The Red Sea, God separates his people, saves his people, destroys the ungodly. And now in baptism, 
the water of baptism, it separates God's people, it saves his people, and it, it distinguishes them from the unbelievers who will be destroyed. And so the water of baptism is a sign of the work of Jesus Christ. It is through baptism that we are washed. And that's a sign of the washing away of our sins through Jesus Christ. It's a sign by which God places his seal. He separates children who are baptized from those who are not baptized. He says, you are mine. You belong to my family. And I'm going to wash you from all your sins. And through Jesus' work, I'm going to include you in my kingdom. Well, this is what God already foreshadowed with Noah in the flood. Right at the very beginning of the Bible, the Lord, he, he gives us another picture of his coming grace. He shows us that he's going to take the initiative to save us from our sins and from the effects of sin. Well, the third event that I'd like to reflect with you on is, is the exodus from Egypt. God saves his people from slavery in Egypt. And once again, the Lord acts in judgment. It starts off, Exodus 2 and 3, the Lord sees the groaning and the affliction of his people. They're slaves. They're being brutally treated by their taskmasters. Their cry goes up to the Lord, and the Lord acts to save his people. And it was not as if they, they could do anything. The Egyptians, they're a nation of slaves, and it, Egypt was a superpower of the world. They're defenseless. They couldn't do anything. And so God acts. He takes it upon himself. And he acts in judgment. He brings down the ten plagues on the Egyptians. But then it's really interesting, when you look at those ten plagues, the tenth plague was not only for the Egyptians, but it also could have and would have applied to the Israelites. The only thing is, God told them. He told his people, before it happens, you need to kill a lamb, you need to take this Passover lamb, you need to smear the door frames of your houses with blood so that when the angel of death comes by, he'll see the blood on the door and he'll pass by your house. And that's exactly what happens. The angel of death comes by and he kills the firstborn of all the Egyptians and he saves the firstborn of the Israelites. And then when the apostle John comes into this world, 1 John, sorry, John 1 verse 29, then he sees the Lord Jesus coming towards him and he says... Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the people. He is the Passover Lamb. The blood that was smeared on the door frames of the houses was looking forward to Jesus Christ, who would give his blood to pay for the sins of all his people. And so once again, in one of the greatest events in the history of salvation, the Lord, he, he includes in that, the message of, of his grace. That he's going to send someone through whom he's going to separate his people from, from those who are not his people. Someone through whom he's going to, to redeem and save his people from their sins. It's quite a, it's an important message for us to reflect on, brothers and sisters. You know, sometimes we can be pretty blasé about sin. We know that we're sinning. We know that we shouldn't do it. We know that it's wrong. But we still treat sin as if it isn't a big deal. Our world acts as if you can do all the sin you want and you, you get away with it. 
There is no such thing as sin. They don't know God. Maybe sin, something that's sinful. I ate so much chocolate cake, it was sinful. There's no concept of God. There's no recognition of the holiness of God. They do whatever they want, however they want. Whatever makes them feel good. The Lord says, there is a day of judgment. And it's coming. He showed it already in paradise. showed it with the flood. He showed it in the exodus. And he showed it many times since that time. The apostle Peter, he warns us against false teachers who follow their own sensuality and who act as if there never will be any judgment. 2 Peter 2 verse 3 Peter says, their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Then Peter looks back. He sees how God has judged fallen angels. He sees how God has judged people in the flood, and how God has judged the people in Sodom and Gomorrah for their sexual immorality. And he says, if you keep this in mind, he says, then you can see that the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and how to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. There is a judgment, and sin will be punished. That's not only true for sin out there, brothers and sisters, it's also true for your sin. There will be a judgment, and your sin will be punished. The only question is, who's going to bear the punishment? The Lord tells us that he rescues his people. He sent Jesus as a savior. He promised Adam and Eve there's a savior coming. He rescues Noah from the flood. He rescues the Israelites from the Egyptians. And he says, he says, I will rescue you from all your sins. And you receive it not by, not by trying harder, not by trying to be more holy, not by having a, a more godly persona. Not by doing more devotions, being more faithful in reading or, or in praying to God or in meditating on the scriptures. No, sin is way deeper than that. Sin is in us. Every thought, every motive, every desire, every action, every affection, it's tainted by sin. Our whole life is influenced by sin. It's another part of the imagery of the Exodus. The Israelites, they were in bondage. They were in slavery. And that's the language that God says of what sin does to you. Sin enslaves you. It gets you in, your, in its power. James talks about it in James 1. He talks about desire. First you have this desire. And he says, if you, if you give in to this desire... The desire gives birth to sin. So if you give desire a place in your mind, if you follow your desires, if you allow it to progress, then it gives birth to sin. And then James says that sin, when it is full grown, it leads to death. Your desires, they they lead you in the direction of sin. And then you commit sin. And if you're not careful then that sin grows, and it gets full-grown. And when it's full-grown, then you, then you please the desires of the flesh, 
instead of living to please the Spirit. And then in the end, sin leads to death. On 2 Peter 2, the Apostle Peter tells us that those people who mock God, those people who, who give pride and greed and lust and adultery and similar sins a place in their lives, become slaves of depravity. Peter says a man is enslaved by whatever has mastered him. Well, that's our nature, brothers and sisters. But it's in that context that the Lord comes to us with the story of the Exodus. When his people were enslaved, then he sets them free. Then he acts. He takes the initiative. They can't do anything, and so he does it for them. He brings these judgments down. And there's nothing they had to do. There's nothing that changed for them, in them, to make the Egyptians differently disposed towards them. But the first time Moses goes to Pharaoh, then Pharaoh, he, he laughs at him. And he throws him out of his presence. And the last time, then all Pharaoh's officials, they're, they're coming to Moses and they're bowing down to him. And they're saying, please, 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 will you please leave us? Because we know that your God is the Lord, that the Lord is God. And we know that he is the power. And so the Lord takes the initiative and he changes the attitude of the Egyptians towards his people. And he rescues them out of their hands. Well, this is what God does for us through his son. It's a picture of the salvation that God gives us, brothers and sisters. Jesus Christ has come to save you. He's come to do it for you. You don't have it in you. You can't make yourself different. You can't save yourself. But God acts to rescue you. Jesus Christ is your Passover lamb. He saves you from the life-dominating power of sin. And he sets you free. We read a few moments ago from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's quite an incredible passage in which the Apostle Paul speaks about the, the work, the manner in which Christ saves us. And he says that this is the gift of God. He says in the first place that we are a new creation and that God reconciles us to himself through Christ. What's well, interesting, the, the word for reconciliation, it includes the idea of an exchange. God reconciles, he restores the relationship between him and us, and he does it through an exchange. And what's the exchange? Well, he tells us in verse 21, he says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The great exchange is that he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that we could become righteousness before God. And when Paul writes it, it's really interesting. He, he emphasizes the fact that Christ was sinless. For him who knew no sin, he, he starts with that phrase, he made to be sin. And so he emphasizes the innocence of Christ. Christ was innocent. That's the, the recurring theme of the scripture. He never sinned. At the time when he's put to death, and Luke 23, there's, there's four references you have Pilate who says it twice, you have the robber on the cross who says it, and you have the centurion after Christ's death. They all say he is innocent. He's innocent. There's nothing guilty within him. There is no reason he deserved this. And so him who is innocent, he made him to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The great exchange 
is that God takes Christ's righteousness and he gives it to us. And he takes our sin and he gives it to Christ. And so there's nothing you have to do, brothers and sisters. It's not by working harder. It's not by applying yourself more. It's not by trying to be different. The only way is that by grace and through faith that you believe in Christ and that you share in him. You must believe that he is your savior. The way you you give expression to that, the way you do it, is that you confess your sin to him. You tell him about the times and about the ways in which you have fallen short. You let the word soak into your life. You let it speak to you. And when it confronts you, then you acknowledge. In 1 John 1, the Lord says that if we confess our sins, then he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You must confess your sins. But then John continues, he says, if you say that you have not sinned, then you call him a liar, and then his word has no place in your heart. And the way you call God a liar, you might wonder about that, like how are we calling God a liar? Well, the way you call God a liar is that God comes to you with his word and he says, you're a sinner. You did this wrong. And if you're not willing to do that, if you're not willing to say that, to confess literally means to say the same as. If you're not willing to say the same about your sin as God says about your sin, God says you're a sinner. You say, no, 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 Lord, that's, we're not going to talk about that. Well, then God says you're a liar. And then my word has no place in you, and then you have no forgiveness. We sang together a few moments ago from Psalm 51. It's in Psalm 51 that the Lord tells us there, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. That's what the Lord desires, brothers and sisters. True humility, honest acknowledgement of sin, a broken and a contrite heart. The words of Isaiah 66, verse 2, But this is the one on whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit, and who trembles at my word. You give expression to your faith by humbly confessing your sin to the Lord, by acknowledging them to him, and by trusting that Christ will forgive them. And then when you do that, brothers and sisters, then you are in the beautiful place where you know the kindness of God, you know the grace of God, and you live out of that grace. Then the Apostle Paul, he talks about the spirit-filled life. He talks about the three things that are often manifest in those who have the spirit of God. Ephesians 5, he says, we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. When you know of the grace of God that extends you in Christ, when you know of his kindness towards you, that he has done it for you, he has given you the great exchange, then you sing to him. You sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You love to, to express your, your joy and your gratitude for the riches of his grace in Christ. 
then Paul says the second thing that you do is you also make melody in your heart to the Lord. You meditate on the great gift of God's grace. And in your heart, you, you have this, you make melody to the Lord. And the last thing he says is that you give thanks, always and for everything, to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. As you reflect on the grace that God extends you in Christ, as you reflect on the forgiveness of your sins in Christ as a free gift, then you thank him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for all your grace. And you show how much you love him by living a life of gratitude and of service before him. So humbly confess your sins to the Lord, brothers and sisters. Reflect on the great exchange. And then thank and praise God. Sing to him and make melody in your hearts. Amen. Let's praise God. Let's praise the Lord Jesus Christ for the, for the gift of his grace. Hymn 35, verses 1 and 4.
Let's now pray to God. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, that you sent your Son into this world and that you gave him the name Jesus. We believe that he is the Savior of our sins. Father, we wish to come to you this afternoon to confess our sins to you. We believe that when we have a, a humble and a contrite heart, that you will forgive us our sins and you will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, one of the greatest sins that we commit is that we treat you lightly. There are many things that hold our affection and that get our energy. But many times, Lord, those are, those are other things, things other than you. Sometimes it's work, sometimes it's pleasure, it's the things that we, we love to engage in, sometimes it's other people. Yet, Lord, we, we sometimes relegate you to the corners of our lives. We, we give you a few moments of our attention, and then we carry on as if you don't exist. Lord, we, we're sorry about that. We confess our sin to you. We pray for your forgiveness. Help us, Lord, to, to live with you in the center of our lives. Help us on a daily basis, on an hourly basis, that we depend upon you, that when we make decisions, that we bring it before you, that when we need help, that we call upon you, that when we, we're about to engage in something, that we ask you for your blessing, and that when things go well for us, that we extend our thanks to you. Help us, Lord, to have, a, have an engaged relationship together with you, where hour by hour we speak with you, and we depend upon you, and we love you, and we show you our, the gratitude for your grace. Lord, please forgive us for the other ways we treat you lightly. Sometimes we treat your name lightly, and sometimes we treat you, your, your honor and your glory lightly. Sometimes we treat your worship lightly. Sometimes we, we treat your, your special day and the holiness that you call us to in a, in a really light way. Lord, please help us to give you the weight that you are due. Grant that we may glorify your name. And please grant that in this way that we can have a rightly ordered life. And then, Father, it also happens to us that there's so many other sins. So much pride, so much selfishness. Sometimes we respond to our past. Sometimes there's a lot of pain that we've experienced in our past. People who manipulated or exploited us. People who abused us. And sometimes we're all bent out of shape. We're trying to, to deal with the pain. And we, we end up making all sorts of decisions that are, that are not in faith. And that are not, it's not a rightly ordered life. Lord, help us instead to, to bring our pain to you. Help us to depend upon you to help us with that. Help us to, to have the courage to be honest about that. And then grant, Lord, that we can live out of it. Please rescue us from, from pride and from selfishness. Please rescue us, Lord, from, from greed, from covetousness. So often we're caught up in our world with the covetousness and with the greed that they have. It's all about, about us and, and our wealth and what we get and what we acquire. Lord, please, please show us mercy. Please change our hearts. Sometimes it's lost. Sometimes we, we engage in, in things that are, that are really displeasing to you. We see these, these images, and if we're not careful, then we entertain those, those thoughts in our minds, and sometimes we pursue those thoughts. And then, Lord, we, we sin against you, and, and we're sorry about that. And then other times, Lord, it's, it's that we're not honest. It's when we've committed other sins and we're about to get in trouble, then, then the first reaction is to lie about it. Or sometimes we want to, to make ourselves look better. It's a proud, 
motive and, and in the end we exaggerate things in order to, to try to show off to other people. It happens so easy and so often. We're sorry about that. We pray for your grace and for your forgiveness. And sometimes it happens, Lord, in our relationships with those who are over us. You've set office bearers over us. You've set parents over us. You've put teachers over us. You've put government officials over us. At times, we, we treat them badly. We try to push the boundaries. We try to get away with, with sin. And we speak badly of them. And we don't honor them. And Lord, we're sorry about the ways we have done so. We confess that this is a serious matter. And we ask you for your grace and for your forgiveness. Father, please show us mercy for Christ's sake. Please help each one of us to be honest about it. Give us a spirit of humility so that we can confess our sins to you and rely upon you for your grace. Lord, it's especially in an intimate relationship. It's with our, our close family members and friends. It's often the people who we sin against the most. And it's the people with whom we have the most complicated relationships with at times. Lord, help us to deal with that in a good way. Please give us your Holy Spirit. Please grant that we can walk in, in love with each other, that we can extend grace to each other, that we can be truthful with one another, that we can, can, ex, can express our love by also doing what's, what's good and what's kind for one another. Father, thank you that, that you're a God who's willing to forgive us and to help us with these things. And so we, we look to Jesus for salvation we trust you to make it right. Dear Father in heaven, we pray that, that you would then bless us as we walk as your children, bless us as we walk in the truth, grant that the righteousness of Christ may be ours, and grant that we may live out of that righteousness. Give us joy and give us gratitude. Give us peace. Give us a heart that's full of love. Give us a beautiful relationship with you and with each other. For this is your intention. You are a righteous God, and you wish us to share in your righteousness, and you give that to us in Christ. And we pray then that you also give us your spirit, that through your spirit we can live it out. Father, we also wish to, to ask you that you help us in all the other circumstances of our lives. I want to bring the elderly before your throne of grace, Lord, that you sustain and care for them in their old age. Please be near to them and help them as they have to deal with the breakdown of the body. Sometimes for old people, Lord, they, they really have to contend with limitations, they lose their independence, they can't see as well, or they can't drive anymore, or they can't hear as well, sometimes they can't get about, and that can be quite a difficult thing, and so we, we entrust them to your throne of grace, and we pray that you would care for them, and comfort them, and help them. And we also pray, Father, that you would please be with the, the children among us. Thank you for the university students that they're done another semester at school. I want to pray, Lord, for your blessing upon the work that they have done. I want to pray also that you would please bless them in the break that they have, grant that they're able to productively use that in the service of your name, and then we also ask that you would please bless them in the, the next semester that lies before them. Help them to be well equipped for whatever task it is that you give them, Lord, and please also grant your, your protection to those who are at universities. There's so much godlessness, so many ways in which demonic ideas are presented. We ask that you would keep them safe and hold on to them and keep them close with you. Grant that they're able to talk about the things that they need to talk about with, with some, of mature, some mature believers. And please grant that we're able to help each other and help our, our youth in walking in faith before you. Father, we also thank you for the, for the education that they can receive and for the blessings they receive in that. We pray that they can use that in the service of your name. 
We also pray, Father, that you would please bless the education of our children. We're thankful for, for the rest of our children, that we can cooperate together in our schooling of our children. We want to pray for your blessing over that, that that may go well. But please be with the teachers, be with the staff and administration. Please be with the students. Please grant a, a beautiful learning environment and grant that it may go well. And we also have some children who are, who are not members of our school, and we, we pray for them as well, that you would look after them, and that you bless them, and you protect them, and keep them safe. Father, we also want to ask you for your coming blessing over the, this week that lies before us. Please be near to each one of us. Grant that we can do our work faithfully and joyfully and grant your blessing upon it. Lord, help us as we do our work and as we use our time that we, we often think of your kingdom and how we can effectively serve within your kingdom. And grant that also we use the, the hours at work in service before you, that we seek to glorify and honor you with everything that we do. Please, Hear us, we pray now. Please also accept the, the thank offerings that we bring to you. Bless the work that's being done in P&G. And please also bless candidate Slaw as he considers the calls that have been extended to him. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, the collection this afternoon is indeed for the work in P&G. Then after the collection, we're going to sing together from hymn 38, the verses 1, 2, 3, and 4.
receive now the blessing of God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.